The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly Fantasy Sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to, uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 356. Got a special one for us tonight. We're not going to particularly go over draft strategy or anything like that because we've done that plenty. The season is just around the corner. We're literally, by the time you're listening, it's probably a week away or less before the season begins. So I have a special guest coming on the show. He's been on the show before. I love talking to him about his metrics and other uh, baseball, fantasy baseball-related stuff. He's the creator of Aces, of Power. Uh, you can find his work at The Athletic on Twitter at Rotopope. Aaron Saceta, how we doing, man? Baba, great to be here uh, heading into the biggest weekend of the season. So, uh, I mean, it's great to be here. Super, super exciting. Great time. Yep, definitely. Draft season is full full steam ahead this weekend. It's it's go time. Hopefully not too many more injuries pop up because it's been oh, a wild yeah. one the last few days. But every, the players are ready. They just don't want to. Like, they just get us off the field. Let's go play baseball. Yeah. But yeah. Um, before we get into the aces and the power metrics here, 
what uh, why don't you plug away what you got going with the athletic? I know you just came out with your updated aces and everything, but what else do you have going on? Because I know you, when you read the article, you have other things you're going to start adding to it. It sounds like so. What do you got going on? Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm super slow on all that stuff. So of course it's it's kind of like we're we're up against the you know, last hour almost. But essentially, it's it's really that it's the aces and the power stuff, and that really just sets the the stage for stuff to follow uh, accordingly from those. So aces is, you know, the pitching side of things, looking at someone's arsenal power is more kind of the hitting side, hitting version of that. And then usually the things that follow are late targets is kind of my focus from those. So I put out a piece, I think it came out on early this week. I think it was Monday or so, maybe it was Tuesday around my favorite um, targets by aces going after pick 200. And that's been a pretty fun exercise to run in the past. I know that's kind of turned on, uh, turned turned me to like someone like Zach Eflin a couple of years ago. Uh, um, so it hasn't always worked great, but yeah, that, that's a fun one to do. And I'm working on I'm working on a power one right now. And, and last year, um, that that did actually work pretty well. So working on that right now. But it's mostly yeah, mostly those two and the late targets based on those. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because your metric. Uh, I had you on when we talked about aces. Like it goes last year, maybe even the year before. Yeah, I think third. that's number three for me. Yeah, yeah. it's number three, and it's it's a lot of fun, but. I, I might have to start having you a little mid-season because you're doing so much with these. It used to be like you just kind of updated them a little bit here and there. It was more of a off-season for the next season thing. But yeah, with, with the development you're continuing to do with this, it, it's like we're going to start sniffing things out. And I'm going to ask some of those questions when we get into it. But um, let's jump into it. Aces, I believe this is your... Is this year three or year four of Aces? This is year three. It okay. um, initially came out in 2019. But I do have it a little bit historical going back to 2017. So you can look at – well, actually, I, I'm sorry. I guess this is your number – yeah, this is your number three. But 2018 was the first year that um, we had data for. So that, you know, obviously that came out 2019, looking back at the 2018 season. Yeah, where, where we've come because I remember when you first were on, you are like sending me the, the sheet that, okay, don't share this because this is kind of a, a, a secret little deal. But now I subscribe to The Athletic, and the cool thing is I read your article and – click on a button it's in my yeah. sheets folders now yeah and it's so cool um so that yeah. that's that's awesome to have and you have so many sortable tabs on there um like <laughs> for for you where it started to where it is now like what what steps have you been taking and then like mm-hmm. like where where has it gone now that you maybe didn't think it was going before type thing yeah, well, I mean, that that was definitely a big one. I think one thing I, I really liked writing for Chris and at CBS, um, great, great group over there. But yeah, I think that was one thing where maybe there wasn't as much visibility on all of the metrics because it was behind the sports line paywall. And maybe there was, I just, it wasn't as clear to me. So I think that is pretty cool where, you know, may, maybe it's a little bit more, um, more accessible to all of the athletic subscribers and everything like that. So I think that's pretty cool. And then and I think the, the main place that this has gone from where it started two or three years ago is it was very, very simple, which maybe that was better, actually, when it first came out. It was really just looking at three things. It was velo, movement, and command, and um, which was essentially just a continuation of, you know, Saris's arsenal scores. That's pretty much where, I mean, this this idea directly came from that. It pretty much just took it. And then I think the big addition was that command plus that he had, mm-hmm. he had sort of um, shown to everyone uh, via stats. And so that's where, that's where it was. But then you had all these other things out there with StatCast, um, that we knew were important, but it was just to what degree. And I think that first offseason didn't really have a time to dig too deep into those. But that's things like spin rate was definitely a big one I wanted to look at. I wasn't super comfortable with the weightings on how uh, the various movement was, which in the first iteration just basically weighted those things exactly the same across all the pitches. So I think that's where it's really come 
since then is diving a lot deeper into each individual pitch and having those weightings, um, you know, things like velocity, spin rate, movement, command, being a little bit different by pitch based on, you know, the testing that I've been doing. And then also just adding things that I've tested, you know, somewhat surprisingly in a lot of cases I've tested really well. So um, things like release extension, I wasn't expecting to include in ACES, but it was hard to keep it out based on how the testing was looking. Um, I know that one was a bit of a surprise to me. And so I think that's, I think those have been the big changes and that's been going for the last couple of years now. And, um, you know, the 2020 season being weird as it was without the full sample, didn't really give me the chance to do a full test this off season as I would have liked. So kind of just ran it back with, similar um if not the same weightings from the previous season so i think this off these next two off seasons will be interesting to really see how we want to evolve it from here but yeah those those are the main ones is really just getting into the getting deeper into each pitch and um adding more of these other elements so it's definitely gotten more complex i don't think that's necessarily a good thing but um (laughs) yeah it was just it was hard to keep some of these things out that looked important based on the testing yeah, the complexity is a thing that's not for me, but that's why I like just reading the ACEs numbers and going that yeah. direction. I'll let you do the hard work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'll read the metrics. So that's my favorite part too. Once once the work is all done, I get to look at their actual rankings. I'm like, finally, that, that's what I'm that's what I'm doing all this for. Is I want to see that. Yeah, yeah, that's so much easier. But like I, you mentioned, like seam uh, seam was it seam shifted wake. Um, yes, that's, yeah. that's a new one that you're, you're yeah, thinking even, about looking into. I haven't looked at that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that, Eno kind of wrote up and I haven't looked at that at all. So that's something, definitely something to look at in the future. So there's, yeah, just these other things to look at. And I know, um, driveline had put together their own mm-hmm. stuff score. And I think they had looked also at things like spin direction, but more so relative to the fastball also, okay. and then that just like spin sense. efficiency. And so there's just all these other things that I'd like to look at get my hands on that I, that I haven't had the chance to yet. So this will, this will have to suffice for now, but um, definitely in the future, looking to just start testing more of those other pieces as well. Well, it definitely, it definitely will suffice because it's awesome stuff, but I am curious to see where that continues to go because um, like the driveline spin stuff, we've heard pitchers talk about it, that they like Josh Lindblom's one guy that says, I know my, my, or even Chris Paddock said, I know my spins bad on my fastball. I'm working on doing it. And they've seen in the limited stat cast we have, in spring we've seen adjustments for those things and it's working so i wonder like a full season of it and the comparisons that'd be fun to see for sure um you have aces and you have aces plus can you let the listeners know real quickly the difference between the two i think the easiest way to think about it is aces is just going to be the raw stuff essentially you could call it raw stuff and command but it's just the raw stuff and, and command it's basically the things that are very innate to a pitcher. It's how fast they throw a pitch, how much spin they have on a fastball, how much movement they get, et cetera. So it's those kinds of things um, and command. And then Ace Plus takes those same things, but it also adds in select outcomes. And I think that was one of my favorite early, I think that might've been one of the first things I had seen with Arsenal scores that I thought was really interesting back, like, man, this is probably six, seven years ago or so, but it had... Uh, various 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 outcomes like uh, ground balls or swinging strikes that that Eno and, and I think others that followed him used to develop their Arsenal scores at the time. So that you know that that was actually a huge addition that I didn't mention when you mentioned how this has evolved. But when we first looked at this, it was just looking at those raw components, just the the stuff and the command. And I thought it'd be great to see how important some of these outcomes are. So like we've got now we've got like strikeout rate, which actually tested as more predictive than swinging strike, even at the per pitch level. So we've got that. We've got some swinging strike elements in there. We've got some ability to 
minimize um, damaging contact as well. So we've got some of those pieces in there um, in Aces Plus. So you've got, I think it actually came out on average. It's, it's a little bit more, Aces Plus is more outcome driven, like those kinds of things. So I think it's like about 62% outcomes. And then the other 38% is a mix of stuff and command. So you can almost think of Aces Plus as 38% Aces. And then the rest is some of like these old, you know, almost like a refresh version of those original Arsenal scores that, that we used to talk about. So I think I like having both. Um, mm-hmm. I think naturally with something like Aces Plus, because you do have outcomes, um, it is going to be more predictive of feature performance, but it also, um, it's just a little bit less sticky year to year just because we're looking at things that are, you know, happening with small balls on a baseball field. And whereas um, just looking at stuff and command and aces, I thought was pretty cool that it was more predictive than ERA. Not, we're not looking at anything that is actually happening other than just how fast these guys are throwing, how much movement they're getting, how much spin they're getting. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, and because we are looking at those things, it's it's quite sticky year to year. Like you don't often see, I mean, sometimes you do, but you don't often see someone being really good by aces one year and then just complete crap the next year, unless something was wrong with them. Um, like maybe they got hurt. So I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. And, and Paddock might actually be an interesting example. I'm actually going to pull him up here because if he lost some spin in theory, his aces go down a little bit. Um, if he truly did lose a little bit of spin, which I don't think is very typical. I don't think you typically lose a lot of spin year to year. And so I'm looking at his aces now and yeah, it remained relatively constant. He was 85th percentile in 2019 and he was 82nd percentile last year. So that might have something to do with his uh, losing a little bit of spin on that, on that four seam. Um, and so, yeah, that's, but long-winded way of saying aces is just the raw stuff and command. And then aces plus adds an element of outcomes into that as well. I will have to say one of the coolest additions, and I'll go back to the aces, aces plus, but what you just did there is I want to let people know if you have this sheet, you have the leaderboards and all this different stuff from year to year. And uh over the couple of years combined, but the first page was what he just did. You can go picture by picture and it gives you all the years. It gives you all the different scores, all the different weights of stuff. It's, um, it's, it's pretty awesome. I'm just going to say like, like <laughs> looking at all the different things here and you yeah. color code it. So dummies like me can figure it out. And it's, um, this is some pretty cool stuff. Cause basically it's kind of what you're saying. You know, you want to see, did it change from year to year? Well, now if we have a guy that's got four years of samples, obviously Paddock doesn't have four years. Yeah. We can see how they've either improved or decreased and why maybe and stuff like that, which is really darn cool to look at. So yeah. I think that's, that's, uh, that's a, when we get to a little farther down the discussion here, a great way to look for, you know, your post 200 guys and stuff like that uh, in, in different ways. So I think that, that's really awesome. Um, dumb question. And you can tell me if it's just the way it worked out. Just say it's like sometimes you don't want to know how the sausage is made. So I yeah. get it. But you have the different weights in your article. How do you decide what to do? Because you've said it in the article and you said it a little bit there. Like when you're looking at just say aces in general, well, you have a vector effective velo is 20%. But you saw a velo at 3%. So they're, they're kind of similar, but kind of not. And yeah. that happens. It happens in a lot of your metrics. And it makes sense when you break it down, break it down. But how do you decide where to give the weights? Or is it just kind of yeah. that's how it worked? It's, it's, it's mostly, it's mostly science, but there's definitely art to it as well, where ultimately I'm making the final decisions. I think I saw Ethan Moore kind of did this a little bit in his uh, quality of stuff metric that he, that he sort of like sent to Eno as, as part of um, that, that field Eno's rankings. And like, sometimes you just, you look at the testing um, on a per pitch basis and it'll give you a, a general sense on like how you should weight things, but ultimately you have to make the decision to how much you want to weight something. And so I know like for me, when I was going through some of these things, something like extension was, was testing as like 
the, like one of the most important things um, in all of these pitches. And so it's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's right, but I, I don't feel comfortable waiting it as much as it's suggesting that I should wait this. And so I think you kind of have to make those final decisions and come to the right things. I think the reason you see weird things like effective velo and velo in there, it's because of that damn splitter. Like I, I need yeah. to revisit how I'm looking at the splitter. I think part of it's just, you, you look at tiny, tiny samples for the splitter. And so it's hard to figure out what the right weightings are. It's like, I think, I think um, the better splitters have tested as like, basically I think splitters have, have tested as saying, less spin is better um and like less velo is better it's just an odd pitch i don't i don't really understand the the splitter but that's more or less what it is is looking at that per pitch level um looking at performance in one season against performance in the next kind of at like the um sort of like entire pitch level if you will for all pitchers that a pitch a certain amount of pitches for that pitch and then what was what what elements of what we're talking about here were most predictive of that next season performance and so i've been looking at things like what was most predictive of next season's expected woba what was most predictive of next season's strikeout rate at at that pitch level so that's that's how i've been doing it um okay i, I i'd like to also like kind of rethink a little bit every offseason if that's the best way to do it but to date that that's been the way i've been looking at it yeah, I could see like, you know, you guys sit back and look because each season you see different pitch types developed. You see different velocity changes, kind of a league wide thing, not just a, right. a general thing. So maybe that will affect like you're saying, we're OK, let's take a step back and say 2021. We got to kind of do this weighting compared to what took place here. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned different pitch types, and obviously that's kind of broken down more in aces plus, I believe, than in aces. But have you found certain pitchers that's that's excel in certain pitch types are better in aces than in others you know i haven't i know i have i've heard from i've heard from other um kind of like stuff metrics like guys that that throw uh, a sinker are going to be are going to rate maybe a little bit higher by stuff metrics than than others just because they've it's like a pitch that typically has good velo and movement but maybe doesn't quite drive sort of like the crazy strikeouts that help our, you know, help, help in fantasy as much. So I think those are the kinds of pitchers to watch out for. I mentioned the splitter earlier. Like if someone relies on the splitter quite a bit, I just trust their aces metric a little bit less just because that's such an odd pitch. Um, So those, those are the the main ones that come to mind, but otherwise, no, I don't, I don't think so. Nothing, nothing particularly striking me as, um, you know, one pitch type to pay attention to over another. No, that, that uh, I was kind of curious about that. Now you just mentioned the splitter thing, so I have to pull up Kevin Gossman because I've been anti-Gossman this year. But uh, yeah. yeah, his aces last year, 80 aces plus 81, but previous to that was a little shaky. So yeah. the fastball velo helped out a ton there, I think. But he throws a ton of splitters. Yeah, he does. Yeah, you're right, 42% last year. Um, so he's got a 55th percentile aces, 100th percentile aces plus. So that would suggest they had really good results on the pitch. And then you look at other things like – it looks like he had like the best expected Woba among all splitters essentially last year. He's got, you know, almost top 10% in whiff rate, um, top 25% in ground ball plus pop-up. So it looks like a good pitch and I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is. It's just, yeah, but his aces for the splitter is 55th percentile. So I don't know. That's um, well, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I haven't really been super on Gossman just maybe because I've been burned in the past a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I'm just not totally buying in, but uh, yeah, I mean, based, based on aces and aces plus, he, he looks pretty interesting. Let's see where, where it's fun because he kind of broke out last year. So that's why everyone's on him. But then yeah. I'm, I'm on that page. I talked about the Gossman page. So I clicked to 2019 and that splitter was used 41% of the time, but those numbers are not the same as they yeah. were in 2020. So it, yeah. that, there's where my hesitation and trepidation comes in. Cause like you said, burned before let's um, let's, let's wait and see for me, but I uh, yeah, just, exactly. 
came to mind when you mentioned that. I mean, um, ultimately, he's just like that two-pitch kind of guy. I mean, I guess he. I'm looking right here. He threw the slider seven percent of the time, but it's just he's got he's got. I mean, I'm he's he's up there with you in the in the Bay Area and stuff. But um, and he's got that park behind him, so that's always going to be a nice landing spot for for a pitcher. But yeah, the, the two-pitch guys. Um, you know, it's just not not my favorite kind of guy to go after, but it can work. Yeah, two pitch guys terrify me. And then if people just look at this the sheet here for 2020, if the splitter turns back to 2019, there's not much else there that's going to support him in a good way. So that's where it uh, it just brings my conversation to it. But hey, this is a good way to do some research. Yeah. Um, when you're looking at aces and aces plus, you mentioned predictive of ERA. There's other metrics, Sierra, PERA. There's all kinds of them out there. With aces and aces plus, and you can separate them if you want. What's your goal and which one's stickier for what you're trying to accomplish? So um, my goal is to predict future ERA because that's sort of, I think, one of the easier benchmarks to think through. And it's one of the hardest things to predict across Hall of Fantasy um, is future ERA. So I think I think that's sort of the goal of something like Aces and Aces Plus. And I think the trade-off between the two is if you really just want to find what is – most predictive feature ERA, you're probably going to want to look at Aces Plus among the two. But I think the trade-off there is that Aces Plus will just fluctuate a little bit more year to year. So if you have someone that's good by Aces and Aces Plus one year, it's more likely that they're going to have a similar Aces metric the next year than Aces Plus. So that's why I kind of like looking at both. And when I wrote up that when I wrote up that sleepers piece, I, I um, the criteria for that for the guys that I wanted to consider were um, ideally you were just above average in both. So I looked at that, but then I did also look at okay, who was really good. Who was top 25% by aces, regardless of what their aces plus was and who was top 25% by aces plus regardless, regardless of what their aces was. So um, those are just different ways. I like to look at it. Ultimately both, you know, being good is, is best, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look at all variations just to see if I can kind of mind interesting players out there that are showing interesting skills that I wouldn't have thought other, about much otherwise. Okay, perfect. Because, yeah, um, some of the guys we're going to talk about later that I put on the sheet, it kind of were guys that stood out with either good aces and bad aces plus or vice versa. So we kind mm-hmm. of have a conversation <laughs> of maybe why or something yeah. and, and kind of where that goes. And they're also kind of players that are of interest for people in fantasy coming in this year. So you're trying to predict uh, ERA, which you said is extremely difficult, as we know. And uh, it's like, you know, trying to pick wins or whatever. Like pitching is just a tough – Tough things like when we talk about power, you can hitting's a little more easy. Yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna say I'm not. It's never perfect. Nothing's ever perfect, but it's easier than pitching. That's you feel better sure. about it. Yeah, yeah, because well, pitchers get hurt all the time. Or yeah. pitch, like there's so many different things that take place, and they're always tinkering with stuff. So like mm-hmm. you, you go and figure something out, and now they have a new pitch, or they're doing this, and it changes everything. Uh, so that that makes things very very interesting. Um, if someone were to get the athletic and get your your aces sheet and everything, go through it. How would you recommend going about it in drafts to look for players maybe they like or for justification on, you know, the player A versus player B or something along those lines? How would they use your ACEs metric? Yeah. Well, um, I think I think the way that I went about looking for those kind of late targets, like that's one way that I like to use it right away is who are the guys going after whatever pick you're looking for. I, I chose pick 200 in the past. I looked at past 300, whatever kind of fits the league type that you're looking for or whatever depth you're looking for is yeah I'll, I'll go look at guys going after that point and then ideally i'm looking for a few different things and i think you can go look at this you can look at a lot of this in the leaderboards on the athletic i think you'll have to pull in 
ADP data to look at it. Um, but I'll want and, and you might need to pull in some projections as well if you want to do it this way. But essentially, how I went about building that two hundred those two hundred plus targets was I looked at I would say three things. I looked at were you above average by both aces and aces plus, or were you top twenty five percent in either of them? Are you going after pick two hundred? Are you projected for an ERA less than four seventy five? Just because I. I kind of want to use that as a, as a bit of a benchmark to say, I'm not really going to look at you if you're projected worse than that. I think that was, that was basically a hat tip to, to Jeff Zimmerman and Tanner Bell, some of their research in the process. And then the last thing we kind of touched on this a little bit with Gaussman and um, you know, uh, it's, do they also throw three pitches 10% more um, or 10% of the time or more? And that's just a bit of my bias. I like to look at that. I think that was from some of the, the research that Mitchell Lickman did on, on his blog about um, reducing times through the order penalty. Um, the more pitches you have that you throw, call it eight, 10% of the time, the more you're going to reduce that penalty. And so I like looking at and that's my go-to. And so um, that, that'll that fuel the guys that I like to look at late. Um, and ideally they've also shown some other semblance of skills like, uh, or call it, you know, some other semblance of performance, call it um, with something like a, a decent K minus walk rate. I think that's the other thing. If I see that, then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm liking this guy. And so that's, that's how I go about building those late targets earlier on. I think I'll use it. Maybe um, I, I might use it a little bit to fade certain guys if I'm not already super comfortable with them. And they also don't show well by aces, but I'm not going to do that all the time. Like Clayton Kershaw looks like crap by aces. And it's almost, it's almost like a, a, a borderline um, indictment on the the enterprise of this metric itself um, with something like that. But that those are the times where I'm just like yeah. Clayton Kershaw is like you know he's he's proven this over and over and over again. He's a future Hall of Famer. I don't think we need um, a metric to tell us he's good or bad at this point. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's one of those. You're just like okay, well, some metrics just aren't meant for certain people. We're just gonna uh, move yeah. on. But but it's like it's like you say in your in your product. The metrics obviously work when you know it's like Bauer, Cole, Degrom, Wheeler, Bueller, yeah. Woodruff. Yeah, those are the guys that should be near the top. That's yeah. yes. Like yeah, I always feel good when I see that. Yeah, there's not a lot of guys standing up and be like, no, you know, Tommy Malone should not be yeah. on this. Like yeah. that kind of stuff. So that makes sense. And, and I could guess I could see it with Kershaw. He's not overpowering. He throws a lot of curveballs. It's like yeah. for what you're measuring, it doesn't like jump off the page. But, you know, but he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. So, yeah, it's a tough one. That's, that's yeah. a really tricky yeah, one. Exactly. It, yeah. It's just the, the weights, basically. Just don't favor his type of pitch. It's basically. the weights. And the, the methodology looks at all of these guys relative to their peers. And so that's lefties true. just in general get penalized a little bit. So that's why, actually, when I see a lefty that rates relatively well, I kind of just mentally almost boost them up a little bit. I'm just like, oh, wow, like you're a lefty and you're you're showing well amongst all of the righties. Um, you know, dumb, that's, that's dumb question. Right. Dumb question. Why would lefties rank? worse or rate out worse only be- because the way the way the methodology works is it's looking at how how strong it's mainly and when i say that it's mainly about velocity and okay. gotcha most of the lefties don't throw hard i got right. you exactly gotcha. so this gotcha. is essentially creating how your how all of your you know how all of your like stats or or skills rate among your peers across all of these things like spin rate velocity etc and spin rate would actually probably be another one of those because it's correlated so strongly with velocity so because you're, you're just going to rank a little bit lower on velocity and spin rate than righties. And so your aces and aces plus will just be perhaps a tad bit lower on average for the average lefty. No, I love that. That's, that's really interesting. And everyone would have thought about that. So another thing to to think about when looking at the metrics, but um, yeah, I I love these. It's, it's, it's great to look at. I know I hear, I, I talk to Eno and I I hear him talk about, you know, aces and command plus and all these different things that he uses. And he's one of the sharper minds when it comes to this stuff. So 
Uh, I like when you're working with them because you're definitely a very sharp mind when it comes to this. Um, so yeah, it's pretty good stuff. Um, let's talk about some pitchers now. And this is fun. Like I said, there's certain ones I'm just not going to bring up because it's pretty obvious. Or there's like Garrett Richards, great in aces, not so much in aces plus. I'm guessing results aren't the best for Garrett Richards. Yes. Yeah. Just my, my, my thing. So like Tyler, I, I don't need to, to all those type, type deals. Tyler Chatwood ranks out very well, which is yeah, interesting. Was, right? That's one that kind of stands like, hmm. But one of the ones I want to ask you about here, and it's a popular name because he's a young pitcher. He's shown signs of life. But for me, he walks too many guys. And this could be the reason why. Maybe he's not. But you have Dylan Cease, who has an Aces rating of 94, or of 94%. He has an Aces Plus rating of 29%. So yep. a massive drop-off, like big difference here. What is it with Dylan Cease, and does this make you like go, no, I don't want to trust him this year? I think I think I look at probably two things, two or three things that I don't like. It's, it's yeah, one of them is the Aces Plus, but then you, you dig a tad bit deeper, and, and, and this is kind of embedded in Aces and Aces Plus, but perhaps not enough. But he's got an 83 Command Plus. So he's got, he's got bottom, bottom, um, you know, minus minus command for a starter. And then the other thing that I just want to get a just quick sense on is, you know, just what, what your K minus walk rate looks like. And it was 4% last year. And so you're just not going to find me betting on guys like this, unless they're just like, I don't, I don't think there's ever a time. I almost always find someone I like more, but it would have to be very late. I'm looking at his latest ADP um, on NFBC and it's still like in top inside the top 300. It's not super pricey, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly interested. I'm, I'm okay losing on a bet like this if someone else wants to take it. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are on him. I'm not one of them. I'm like you because I just see so much, so many walks in him. Yeah. It just like if you start doing that, you're not throwing innings. You're you're risking an ERA. Like, there's so many things that go wrong. That the stuff like when he's on, he's outstanding. But just when's he on? That's the question. So, yeah. um, the next guy I want to ask you about. Another, he's another late round type guy. Um, and he's another kind of popular name depending on where you where you're looking. But Spencer Turnbull. He's a guy for the Detroit Tigers we've seen show signs of life at times last year, and then other times not so much. And it's fun when you look at his page, 2018, awesome aces and aces plus. 2019, they both dropped tremendously. 2020, yeah. aces is back up to a decent number. Aces plus is still down. Um, what are you seeing if you like look at uh, Spencer Turnbull? You know, I actually like Turnbull. He, so when I when I mentioned that, that piece of a player's going after pick 200 – um, he actually showed up on my list of names to consider. I think like based once I entered all those criteria, I think I had like 22 names. He was one of them. And I was definitely considering writing him up. Um, I think one, some of the things that I like about him are, you know, he's got, he's got relatively good stuff. He's got a pretty wide arsenal too. He throws mm-hmm. um, four pitches roughly 10% of the time or more. Um, granted two of those are fastballs between the, the four seam and the sinker, but still he, he's got a little bit of a wide arsenal. Um, I think that's a decent park for pitchers. I think where I the reason I probably didn't ultimately write him up was um yeah, this is we play fantasy, so I just didn't really care too much to have a, a Detroit pitcher as much. But I, I think he's I think he's interesting. I know Eno likes him quite a bit. Um I I'm not ending up with a ton of him, but uh, I think also wasn't there like some injury concerns as well with him? I thought that was part of it as well. But I think he's been um, down, I, yeah. Yeah, I I still yeah, I, I think I I would I he you like he's not one of my top targets late, but I I like him. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Like, it, it depends on how my draft's going. I know in best balls, I have a lot of him just because I'll take the chances when he does throw good good outings. But uh, throughout the season, there's gonna be some up and ups and downs. But it's just another example of how the the metric fluctuates with him, and it kind of if you look back on his production, it makes sense. But I do like yeah. how he do, he does have a very nice arsenal. If we want to talk nice arsenal, Jose Barrios, he's four pitch pitcher, 
which we love. He's rated out pretty well in the top 20 percentile in aces every year since 2017. But his aces plus dropped off tremendously in 2020. Again, small sample. So do with that what you wish. But he's a guy that, you know, the K to walk is what it is. Not a massive striker guy, but tons of innings. Uh, So what's your thoughts on him uh, this year? You know, I, I like, I like Brios. I just, I'm not crazy about the price, so I don't really end up with him a ton, but I think he's okay. And I know, you know, he had, he had pedigree coming up. He's got, you know, definitely plenty of things working in his favor, but I think what you're probably buying is, you know, a high threes pitcher, good win potential. So I, I, I think this is one of those probably relatively solid picks, but it just, not not necessarily what I'm what I'm looking for. So I, I'm not ending up with it with him a ton. I'm not necessarily crazy about him at his price, but I think you know he's 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 okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize anyone too much for for taking him and, and kind of dreaming that maybe you know I can buy floor here, but there's there's potentially another level. I can see that. Now let's uh shift gears just a slight bit here. Julio Urias, very popular prospect. Innings is always a concern with the Dodgers, pitched great in the postseason. Um, last two years, top 20 percentile in aces last year, aces plus was great this year, 50%. So he took a massive drop off here. Um, pitch mix wise, that's a little concerning too, for a guy like yourself. I, I prefer three, at least three pitches as well. So I'm with you there. Um, when you're looking at his, his, his metrics here, what scares you the most? Are you, are you, you going to kind of let it go? Cause we've seen him be awesome. Or are you just like, no, this is not going to work for me. Well, I think one thing that I mentioned in that late targets piece is that, you know, Dodgers pitchers, granted, they've had a lot of talented guys, but like, it's just typically a situation that you do want a piece of. I think they've been like, I think they've, they've outperformed their fit by like 40 points in the last three years. Um, by far the best mark in the league. They've had, call it maybe the best ERA in the league, third most wins. So it's, it's one of those very, you know, very fantasy friendly situations. So I don't think you can ever fade any situation like that. Um, I think one thing that does give me a little bit of pause is just seeing pretty mediocre K minus walk rate last year of about 12%. And I think some of those innings were coming as a reliever. So I think that that definitely gives me, gives me some pause, but his 2019 was, was, was much, was a little bit better. Um, so I think, you know, I, 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 I like Urias. I know, I know, you know, definitely quite in on him. I, he's just one of those guys again, where I think at the price, I'm, I'm not necessarily loading up, um, it's a situation that you want you want a piece of, but maybe if 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 that's really what you're targeting, maybe you go after someone a little bit less expensive, kind of at that 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 fifth Dodgers pitcher range, um, kind of like in that May Gonsolin price territory. You mentioned a good point there that he's out of the bullpen a lot last year, and that could have something to do with the pitch mix change. Because if you go to yeah. his 2019 pitch mix, there's more slider and curves involved. Where obviously, if you're coming out of the pen late in the game, I'm just gonna throw it yeah. past you. That's all I'm yeah. trying to do. And that obviously could make a big difference on a lot of the metrics you're looking at there. Yeah, so um, good good point on that. That that could definitely justify some things to really take the other side of things. And this yeah. is fun because Michael Vignetta is one of those guys where you know he gets blown up from time to time, but he still somehow he eats up innings and he kind of lulls you in once in a while throughout a season. Like, should I stream him type stuff? You look at Aces, 2019, 9%. 2025%. Aces plus 40%, but 61% last year. Um Kato walks good. He throws three pitches. What is it that makes his aces plus so much better than his aces? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. yeah, I know. This is crazy. Yeah. Uh, Mike, Michael Pinata as, as yep. Paul Spore, like I was calling him, which I thought was great. Yeah. I mean, he, he was one of those, 
great K minus walk guys almost seemed like he was coming to the zone too much. Cause he'd have good strike guy, right. He'd almost, he, he would almost walk no one. Um, you know, I, I, I think homers have been his big issue. And then at yes. this point you're dealing with a lot of the, the injury issues. So yeah, I, I, I think I just don't, he's not particularly expensive. So I'm looking at ADP right now going inside the top 220, but he's not, um, I, I just don't, I don't like him enough to take him there with the, with the level of injury risk that, you know, you're getting. And I don't think he's proven the level of performance that, that warrants kind of needing to, to perhaps bank on him. So I think just those, those two alone, like I think he, according to um, um, Jeff Zimmerman and uh, Eno's ranking or injury percentiles that they were putting together, like he's like in the top for 5% of most likely to get injured again. So I, I just don't think that, you know, with all of those factors, he's someone that I'm going to be targeting. And that, that's why I love looking at the metric because Pineda is a guy that he interests me because we know what he can do, but yes, home runs are a bugaboo. Injuries are a bugaboo. But you look at this metric and it's like a big red flag. Like, whoa, like what, yeah. what, what's, what's the deal here? This is a really strange one to look at. So it kind of can make you get off a guy or, or whatnot. But the last one I have for you here, and this is one that's been a very popular name this preseason I know some people that are all in on Zach Plesak, other ones not so much. His price has gone down over the last month or so. Still, it's I think it's around 70, 75, give or take, but it was way up there at one point in time. His ace is 14 and 11%. Aces plus 23, 63% this last time because the command was much better. He was much, much better this last time around. But still, aces, not a big fan of Zach Plesak. So what do you have on this guy? Because, yeah, if you look at his pitch mix, my goodness, it's it's very entertaining. Yeah. Isn't that just super Cleveland though, is to have a guy with <laughs> true without, you know, like the big, the big stuff, but still, still churning out, uh, you know, quality innings. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I have, I feel like I'm like super negative on these guys, but police sex definitely not really someone I'm, I'm ending up with much. I feel like his price hit has gone down. I could have sworn he was in the fifties yeah. for a while. And now I'm looking yeah, at the late this last weekend. Yeah. He's like in, in 85 range. I'm still not necessarily super interested at that price. Um, to your point, doesn't really have big stuff. You know, he's, He's got okay stuff based on the on, on Ethan Moore's metric, but I think he's got about league average command, and it just feels like a situation where you're paying for for a really big year. I mean, he did have that that great came on his walk rate last year, so I can see it. I can see where people are coming from on this one, but um, not not at these prices. And and actually, what, one last thing on Cleveland pitchers, though, they are a lot like Dodger pitchers in the last three years. You know, it's definitely been a great situation to be a part of. Um, you know, I, I don't know how, how much of that is driven by just having a, a great set of pitchers. Like, you know, you, when you when you have Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber taking the mound, your collective stats are probably going to look pretty damn good. Um, but also, how much is it about Cleveland being able to just bring out the best in guys as well? So I can understand why people are targeting the situation, but um, for me, I'm not I'm not particularly interested in police tag. I think this is kind of maybe where I use aces a little bit and aces plus if you don't really strike, if you don't pop as super strong especially by aces plus where you know you are factoring in some of those key results then um and and you know you're you're kind of at this more premium pick and you don't have the track record to back it up i think that's where i i, I pump the brakes a bit okay while you were talking I, I was scrolling a little more and if you we don't have to go super deep on this one because i didn't put it on the outline but you mentioned that they're at the end of police sacks when the aces plus is a certain level the aces is and it makes you kind of think about things kenta maeda had a monster season last year there's no hiding that and we've known the talents there, but Dodgers just they dodger him. And it just it gets it was frustrating. He goes to Minnesota, pitches however much he wants. It was great. Aces plus year after year, you know, 30th percentile, 25th, yeah. 25th. He was 90% last year. Like he was great. 
Aces has never been a big fan of Kent Maeda. Uh, yeah. We know he's a great command pitcher. Is that why Aces Plus likes him so much more than Aces? I think it's part of that. Yeah. I don't think he's not a big plus velo guy. Um, mm-hmm. That's true. And so I think that's a big piece of it. But I think when when I do, so like I, I mentioned Plesak, for example. So mm-hmm. we're looking at Maeda. Maeda has had better Aces Plus um, scores throughout his and the last four year, four seasons than mm-hmm. Plesak had last year. So I think when you see that continued um, performance and the more plus command that he at least showed, uh, at least per command plus in 2019, I think that can kind of give you the, the better sense that this is more bettable. And, and I mentioned K minus walk rate a couple of times, but that's something I like to look at. And if he, I mean, he's been doing it year after year, yes. so something else is in there that's not being fully captured. And I kind of touched on this a little bit in the limitations of things like aces in, in the piece, like, you know, there, there could be elements of deception, sequencing, tunneling. That's just hard to capture. And so if, you know, th- those sorts of things are sort of embedded in, in performance metrics, like K-minus Walker, if he's, if he's got that going well, then there's something else going that Aces isn't capturing. So I'm, I'm willing to just trust the combination there of like Aces Plus and K-minus Walker, for example. Okay, before we move on to Pala, with this Aces metric, and you, it's been a lot more like year after year, like I said earlier, it's been developing and it's been not just like a, a preseason type thing. How do you plan on utilizing this in season this year? Or is it really we're just going to kind of see how the stats look and we're going to reassess it in the in the fall? Yeah, you know, two years ago, I did do an early season refresh, call it like a month or so into the season. We'll see what happens this year. I'm not sure if we'll if we'll necessarily be able to do that. Um, that, that's a bit of a TVD, but I think one thing that I have like to look at is, um, what, so one, one final piece of methodology here on how aces and aces, and pl- aces plus are developed is ultimately the numbers that you see as percentiles. Those are based on the pitch mix weights of the pitcher from the previous season. So one thing that I do like to look at is how our pitchers pitch mix is changing early in the season. Are they favoring a pitch that performed better by aces and aces plus in past seasons? And maybe de-emphasizing pitches that didn't perform as well, and that's and that 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 becomes interesting pretty quickly. So I think that's kind of how we use things like this early in the season is just to see what's changing, and then do we think that's a good change, um, and then kind of make you know quick action or quick decisions based on that. I like that. That's that's like one of the big questions I get a lot from listeners of the show, and I have questions for it all the time with any metric or anything we're doing, like with all the Statcast stuff we have now and everything. Is how many innings do we have to see how many pitches we need to see before we so okay this is an actual change we should be doing something with so yeah. like there's really like there is an answer but there's not an answer you know what i mean yeah. um like how how do you go about that like not this doesn't have to do with your aces or metric or anything but when you're evaluating do you wait till you know may or june or is there like four starts how do you look at it yeah well pitchers can pitchers can be a little bit different i think i think there's yeah. a couple of things that um you can you can see as um, pretty meaningful right away. Like velocity, probably, I mean, maybe even as quick as one start, but, um, you know, two, two or three starts, certainly seeing how velocity has changed year over year. Guys that are down are definitely concerning. Guys that are up, you know, could could be in for improved performance that season. And I think also the pitch mix changes as well. Maybe I'd give that a couple of more starts, um, you know, maybe, maybe a few starts to see if that's, um, you know, something that looks like it might stick, but I think, I think you can be pretty quick on, on those things for, for starting pitchers. Hitter hitters are a little bit different, but it's kind of the same set of stats. Like it's looking at things like strikeouts, walks. Um, those are going to be kind of the, when you look at more of the stats basis and less of like things like below, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's going to come down to things like strikeouts and walks probably at the, uh, 
thinking like I think for hitters it's like sixty PAs or so for like that, strikeout. Yeah. So still relatively early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hitters we can move on. Pitchers it's so tricky. So tricky yeah. because wasn't it just a bad start? Like there's so yeah. many weird things with pitchers to, to pull the, the trigger they yeah. say on. But uh we'll move on for this. I love talking about this metric because A, you keep developing the new stuff and B it just even though we've talked about it before, it feels like I learned so much more new stuff because it's just things jump out. You like that, yeah. that make it quite interesting, especially now you can compare them and that the sheet and everything. It's yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of cool things. There. Historical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff. You can compare year to year. And I mean, I love it. So people go check that out. Let's move to the hitters. Let's give them their time. And the metric is power P O W A. And I love it. Cause the name's pretty cool. And it makes tons of sense when we get into why and B I can never get enough hitting metrics because there's so many cool ones like X Woba is what this was about, kind of like part of it. We'll talk about that. Or Woba it actually is. X Woba is one we use all the time. X Woba Bacon is one we use all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's so many of these metrics now. And this is the first time you've been on that POWA is a discussion topic now. So why don't you everybody know what POWA is first yeah. before we go any deeper? Well, dude, it's exactly, it's kind of exactly what you're talking about there, where like it was almost born out of frustration on my end, where it's like, you hear all of these different metrics being talked about. And I think it was just me kind of being like really slow to the party. It's like, I don't, I don't like, are these, are these good ones that people are talking about? Or it's like, and I do this all the time too, where it's like, you look at a player and you look at what he's doing well to help support your argument. Or if he, if you're trying to kind of denigrate a player, you look at what he's not doing well, but it's like, are, are those things really important or not? And so that's kind of what I set up to do with power. It kind of is my, you know, ACEs response to hitters is looking at what are the best metrics for, for hitters. And especially now that we've had stat cast data since 2015 or so, what are the best metrics for hitters? And then by how much as well? So like, those are really the, just the two basic questions that I was trying to answer. And that's, that's how power came to be is I, I kind of went through the same process as ACEs, like, as we sort of talked about hitters are a little bit simpler in that, you know, I'm not looking at this stuff at like a per pitch level or anything like for ACEs. It's just sort of looking at the overall for hitters, um, ended up testing 80 plus metrics that you can find on StatCast and ultimately sort of landed on these, I think it's nine or so that tests the best in terms of predictiveness of that future ex-WOBA, um, or I'm sorry, future, future WOBA. Um, and, um, yeah, the, so the, yeah, these were, these were the nine that I ended up landing on there and ended up just going about weighting them in a very similar way that we talked about with aces it's um doing sort of that testing on on what combination of these tested as most predictive of future woba and um you know there's there's a small element of of art in there but for the most part yeah it's kind of just driven by what what various weightings were were most predictive of future performance and and you mentioned it it's because there's so many metrics out there and a lot of them are good but there's so many of them it yeah. gets tricky, and you combine like barrels in here. You got you know fly ball, line drive, exit velocity, all these things we like yeah. to use, but we use them like a max exit velocity. We use them all kind of separately, in different ways. And you brought them yeah. all together, so it, yeah, that was a goal. I, I'm I'm loving this. When I started really digging into it a couple of days ago, uh, I've read the article before, but to actually kind of dig in to get questions for you, I was like, okay, this is this is really cool. Um, when you're looking at this, and since you said Statcast has been going for five years now, your historical data goes all the way back to 2015. For yeah. players, so that's really cool as well. Um, when I guess when you came up upon this, how are you utilizing this to evaluate players? Similar, to, I guess we talked about how you do it with aces with power. Um, is it strictly like you know what this is taking over for X Loba? I guess be, I guess what I'm trying to ask you is you mentioned the stickiness and how it can compare to X Loba. Basically, um, how does this compare to like predictive stuff? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that was the goal with something like this was to take 
all of the best pieces of data that we have and just structure and weight it in a way that is as predictive as possible. And so, yeah, it, it did end up testing better than XWOBA, better than expected slugging and better than WOBA itself, OPS, all of those. So it, it ended up testing as more predictive of all of those. I mean, you know, I mentioned some limitations in the piece as well of it, but I think, you know, right away that, that, um, you know, gave me some, you know, encouragement that like, yeah, I think, I think for me, at least this is sort of what I would use to evaluate how someone performed the previous season. If I just wanted to look at one thing that would kind of give me an indication, like, okay, does this guy have sort of like strong hitting skills essentially. And I've even broken it down into the dashboard based on um, just sort of like their hard hit mash ability essentially, or also their plate discipline. So it's, that, that's essentially how it gets broken down. And then, yeah, I, I, I really don't look at those other pieces. I sort of just look at power and then I, you know, I have power broken down by all the different components in that mm-hmm. dashboard. So I'll, I'll kind of look to see like what's changing or what this particular player is good at. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I, how I use it. And then I just use that in conjunction with, projections. I still think that projections do a great job of incorporating other concepts that things like power and aces don't, which is, um, you know, weighting past performance in a way that is most predictive. Like I, when we look at things like power and aces, it's kind of discreet in that it only looks at previous season. Whereas like projections look at combining, you know, like sort of like just like the last, whatever, whatever for that stat is, is it makes the most sense. Like whether it's like a lot of interplay appearances or, or whatnot. So it looks across multiple seasons, adds elements of regression and aging curves. Like those are the kinds of things that power and aces just don't do. So I I like to combine pretty much just power with projections. And those are the main things that I'm looking at. Have you thought about making like an overall power or it's probably not necessary the more I think about it, but like I I just have Bryce Harper's page up just while you're talking just for fun. And the dude gets bright green. Like if you're on Savant, it's bright red, but it's bright green. That's what this is. So it's like, and it makes sense because it's Bryce Harper, but um, like his career power, it's not necessary. Mm. But those are the kind of, they'd be kind of fun to see how yeah, that would go. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not necessary. Don't put that extra work on your table. It's just kind of <laughs> like as I'm looking at it, going, "Oh, this is kind of." I know that would be interesting, right? Or yeah, like, I'll have to think about that at some point. But um, so when you're doing this kind of stuff and you look at the overall like leaderboard, leaderboard. Um, you have the power percentage, then you have power for those that don't know, like if it's a zero power, roughly 50% power percentage, uh, you know, WRC plus and average WRC plus is a hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of a similar correlation status you'd be looking at? What we've talked about WOBA. Do you, do you think it correlates best with WOBA or do you think it's uh, best with a different metric? No, I think it, and you know, I actually don't know. I don't know what it necessarily correlates the most with. I know there is a relatively strong relationship between power and WOBA. So if you looked at, if a player is has a strong WOBA in one season, they're also probably going to have a, a pretty strong power. So I think I, I did the testing. I'm looking at it right now. It ended up being a, about a 0.57 in-season R-squared between power and WOBA. So like in sort of like, yeah, I think I'm probably oversimplifying, but essentially that means like power kind of explains like maybe 57% of, of WOBA or so in, in that season or is descriptive of 57% of, of WOBA. So like they're they're relatively um, correlated and have a, have a decent relationship with the zoo. Yeah, no, that, that's what I'm, I'm reading your deal now about how it's much stickier than like Woba and X Woba, and it's a, a stat that can continue on. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and this yeah. one's a lot to me, it's a lot easier to grasp than pitching yeah. the, the ace one to me because it, it makes sense the way you broke it down between um, 
when I, let me pull up the player page again. When you have the, the hard hit abilities and the plate disciplines for us that yeah. have been doing this enough, we know, like I said, the barrels and all that. So it makes sense. Like, okay, yeah. this is what we're looking for. So I get, I don't have a million questions like I do for aces. It's just like, okay, this yeah. just totally makes sense. And it's pretty darn awesome because it just takes everything and puts it into one. And yeah. I love, I love the part that you did. The plate discipline is very important. They're almost weighted equally in theory. Plate yeah, discipline and hard hit. Yeah. And it's important because strikeouts, walks, and no swing. There's some guys that are way better in that, but they don't have a ton of power, but it shouldn't penalize them, right? Exactly. Like this is so that's one reason I'm glad you kind of gave a similar weighting yeah, to the whole deal. Yeah. And I think that is one of the benefits of using something like Xwoba in the past. And that's why I like using that. Because like when you go to something like just the savant leaderboards, they're great. But you see guys like Sano, just the like just the like, um, you know judge just stanton all of those guys and like re for for great reasons because they they absolutely killed the ball but it doesn't necessarily give you the complete picture and that's what i was hoping to have is like i want to i want to see that but i also want to combine that with other parts of the game that are important as well and so i thought that the interesting part about the play discipline side of things too is i was hoping things like um swinging strike weight street swinging strike rate would get incorporated or other elements of like z swing or just other kind of like really nitty-gritty things that are probably really meaningful in small samples and things like that but um at the same time i thought it was kind of cool that just very basic things that we've known are great all along tested as just much better than those like we have strikeouts and walks in here they're they're pretty basic but those are just important things yeah i guess the only one that i'd be curious to see if it affects anything weirdly which Obviously, the numbers make sense because they said Soto and Trout. These guys, are, they're all up there. I wonder what adding, like, say, contact percentage. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good one, too. I, I want to say that I tested that one um, only because I just – I figured you did. List. I figured you did all this yeah. stuff. So, like, I'm just throwing them out there as Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, but otherwise, you, you hit all the nails on the head. Like, for all the guests I've had on or I've been on other shows, people go, like, what metrics do you use when you're analyzing players? You've nailed most of them in this thing, like, <laughs> in one way or another. So it makes life yeah. so much easier to go to this. So my articles might be a lot shorter now, but I just go, hey, I got a power rating of this. Yeah, <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah. So much different. And th- that was the idea behind them, too. I'm, I'm similar. Like, I, you could even just call it laziness on mine, where it's like, man, I just want to know what are, like, the most important things that I should be looking at and just how important are each of these things relative to each other. And like that was kind of just the questions that I that I wanted to know personally, and so um, yeah, I just went about just creating this so that way you know I'd have just kind of, you just like and, and I mentioned this in the piece, but just almost like a shorthand sometimes in the in the heat of a draft where it's like I you know I I, I know the pool relatively well, but it's just nice to kind of see these these just one extra column in your in your sheet or whatever, mm-hmm. and just see like okay, like this guy's um, you know he's got he's got strong skills, especially when we're talking about like late in drafts and you're just trying to get a quick you know, um, you know, supplemental pick or something in like kind of late in draft. So I, yeah, I like having it, that in there. It never hurts to have more information, like especially stuff, I guess, that puts all of it together for you. So yeah. that, that definitely doesn't hurt. Um, before we get into some player discussion on this, what's what's next? Like, what do you want to do with the power rankings? I, I think this is just one of those things where continue to do a little bit of additional testing every year. Um, and I think, I think I'd like to get a little bit more statistical statistically rigorous with it. I, I do worry. And I mentioned this in, li- in the limitations that, you know, there might be a little bit more overlap than I would like in some of these things. Like we know we've got things like fly ball, line drive EV and um, you know, average EV in here. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, they're weighted differently, but you know, maybe there could be some overlap and same thing with like barrels per PA and same thing, fly ball, line drive EV. Like I just worry that there might be a little bit of 
of kind of like double counting in a way by including all of those things. So I think that's definitely one thing. Um, and so, yeah, but I think overall, I think it's just more of like just continuing to, to test annually. Like, and, you know, you mentioned that contact percentage idea, like just continuing to look at additional metrics that we have and seeing, you know, what, what makes the most sense to include in here. Um, the other thing I, I meant to ask during the ACEs, but it can apply to both metrics, to be honest. With the, the discussion of the new baseballs this year, how do you think just for fun, like this will affect your metrics? You know, I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll affect it a ton. Well, you're not doing distance, so it shouldn't affect yeah, that. Yeah, because it, unless there's, unless there's like additional, I guess maybe the reason the distances would be shorter is because there would be a the little bit less drag or something, or something and less, Potentially, less yeah. EVs. So maybe a little bit, but I think one, one thing that I, that I've done with these is that they are a bit contextual in a sense that the percentiles are relative to other hitters in that season. Okay. So maybe it'll all kind of factor out. Right. So maybe the actual numbers, um, you know, like let's say Bryce Harper, maybe his average EV will go down a little bit, or maybe his max EV will go down. But if everyone else's goes down in a similar way, then he'll rank in a similar way by power. So I think that's maybe one way where it gets mitigated, but I don't know if, if some, if some hitters are more impacted by the D juice ball than others, then that, that could show up there. I don't think that'll happen. I think that'll be at least with something like EV, but uh, maybe for, maybe for pitcher performance, I, you know, I could definitely see it happening where guys that are a little bit more Homer prone could benefit, but I don't think that's going to show up a ton in, in aces and, and power. Okay. Um, also, in your your power metric, I said like zeros are around fifty percent, give or take. Some a little high, up to sixty or so. Um, you got guys like Simeon, Lariano, Buxton, um, a bunch of guys down here. This isn't a player by player question, but these are still guys we like to draft uh, yeah. going into the season. So, where do you kind of have, I guess, your cutoff or your your higher level of concern when you're looking at power? Well, I think, um, and I, and I tried to, I think, well, um, you know, I, I haven't totally gotten to it, but I, I did try to, t- I took a, a, an initial pass at a potential fade list of, of things that I would consider. But I think, I think the big, this is maybe where it's a good time to talk about the limitations of power. I think what power is designed to do is it's designed to predict future performance as defined by Woba. I think Woba is a great metric. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we were trying to figure out who the best baseball players are, it, it might be one of the best, but it's not perfect for fantasy. And so I think that's the limitation of using it just blindly for fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I think the, re- the the areas where I might consider not worrying as much about power, as long as it's not horrible, um, is when there's speed involved, because that's just not going to be captured at all within power. True. Batting average to a certain degree won't be either. Um, you know, to a, to a certain degree, a little bit it is, right? Because strikeouts are incorporated here. You chasing pitches incorporated here. Your ability to hit the ball hard is incorporated here. So... Average is a little bit, but not fully. So I think those are the two things that I would look at first is, is this guy contributing speed? Is this guy contributing really plus batting average? This might not be fully captured here. Um, and then lastly, just maybe like things, other contextual factors like ballpark, lineup position, um, you know, li- like surrounding lineup around them. Like just kind of using your simian example, if he's hitting at the top of a, a relatively good Jays Jay's lineup in uh, you know, at Hitters Park in Buffalo, well then like, you know, that's not all that stuff's being captured in power. True. That's, that's a great point. So I guess use power to kind of get you there and then maybe throw in the other two cents or whatever. Yeah. And that's why I think projections are great too. I think projections do a good job capturing a lot of those other elements True. that are, that are hard to see and things like power. 
And that's one reason why I, we use ATC a lot because it kind of puts all the projections together. Yeah. That's another reason why I really like what Derek Carty's doing with the yeah. X now because he's incorporating ballparks and savant yeah. stuff that that nothing's really done before, and you can see some differences. And even his bat to bat X projections, we're like, okay, I, I can see where he's kind of getting that from. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I'm the same way. I mainly use ATC, but I I I, I don't know, and I don't think Ariel has ever talked about this. I don't I don't know what exactly goes into that. I know it's like an amalgamation of multiple yeah. systems, and I know I'm sure bat X and or I don't know about Bad X, but I'm sure that I don't think Bad X is yet. I think okay, the Bad yeah. is. I don't think Bad X is yet. Okay. Yeah. And so I kind of like to look at the Bat too because I feel like you know I haven't I haven't done enough digging on all the other systems. But I feel like Derek does a good job with all those other contextual factors. Like I think he incorporates things like defense. Yep. You know, definitely ballpark schedule. I think he he's incorporated as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great way looking at the Bat or the Bad X to get to get some context. No, it's, yeah, he does. He looks at all that stuff. That's one reason why, like I said, like I like both their metrics or their projections. Then if you throw in power to go with it, that's that's a great way to kind of decide on some players there. So yeah. let's talk. Let's talk about some players. Talk some. And um, some of the fun names that are out there. Frenchy Guerrero might not even play every day right now, but it's, <laughs> I wanted to bring it up because it's a fun name. Everyone yeah. loves him when he hits the ball hard. He hits it a mile. Like there's there's a lot to love about Frenchy, except he just can't play. So it's uh, it's interesting, but you know. Powell likes him. He had a 98 percentile last year, but then yeah. it was 69 in, in 2018. He just jumps all over the board with his metrics. Um, when you look at when you look at his player page, basically, like what do, what stands out to you? Is it something to like, or are you just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I think I think there is something to like in in a certain way. In that, I think he's he has potential for power and speed. He's going to play in in Fenway. He was kind of the centerpiece of the deal that sent Benintendi to Kansas City. So you'd like to think that when he's ready, um, in terms of health, he'll be up and playing every day. Um, and so I think those are all good things going in his favor. And as you said, he, he rated in the top 2% by Powell last year. I think the one thing you have to be careful with there a little bit, though, is that it was on 42 plate appearances. True, and I'm true. looking at the, the biggest thing that that popped off to me. You know, he, he is definitely been really great by um able to hit the ball really hard like you see you see green all over that but the area that you see just like super green that is very shocking is his k rate and that's because he had less than 10 percent k rate last year and it still was 42 plate appearances so you know that's interesting and his his chase rate went down too so like he was actually in the top 25 percent by chase rate last year so i think that's good but i don't trust that at all like i think he was like a 35 percent k rate guy i think projections have him around 30 30 three percent strikeout rate so there's there's just no way that that's gonna stick so i think he's probably closer to something like call it maybe 70 75th percentile you know not necessarily that super super high-end guy but uh, overall yeah I, I i like franchise i see him going in the mid sort of like late 300s um i could definitely see myself taking there he'll, he'll be someone i'm reading news really close on actually i was earlier today um it it Sounds like it's kind of just a health thing with him. If, if he can get healthy, he, yeah. he should be able to see time in that outfield. If he got regular playing time, I'd be very excited. But yeah. another thing on these player pages, which is helpful, it's like, okay, you see 98%. You're like, oh, this guy was good. So you look at his NFBC dollars, he was minus $6. So it's like you have to like step back and go, okay, there's a little more to everything. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah. and that's why that's why I like how you have it all covered there. So just one number, like you go to you know certain metrics, where you see one number, like, okay, that's what it is. But yeah, it's like it, it points you to where to look and then you see the, the farther research per se. You know, like, yeah. okay, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it definitely yeah, I included this because it's helpful, especially because like I was saying with power, it doesn't capture all of like, the fantasy relevant factors. So I think something yeah. like those NFBC dollars are helpful. I think one thing you do have to be a tad bit careful with, with something like Franchi, though, is just such limited playing time that 
I think those one thing that would be cool to add here is like dollars per plate appearance or something like that. That, that would be awesome. See how like their their sort of true talent wasn't a plate appearance basis, which again mm-hmm. it's, we're talking about small samples, so it might not be super reliable, but it would be at least interesting because like something like his negative six, it's like um, you know he had forty two plate appearances and like other people were like more in the two hundred, so it's just he's naturally going to be at a disadvantage there. That's a great point, and it's also. That's almost what I was worth it's in season. Okay, now if I need to stream him for two weeks, is he more valuable than this other guy? Where yeah, this other yeah. guy's better in like a large sample, but maybe Franchi can get hot for two weeks. Yeah, exactly. So that that that's interesting as well. Um, Kyle Seeger, the ageless wonder, it feels like he just keeps getting older and the dude keeps hitting, and he had one of his best years last year for Seattle, and the numbers show it, but it wasn't just last year. For the most part, the power rankings have been pretty, pretty good to Kyle Seeger. Um, is there anything that stands out to you when you look at his player page? No, other than that, he's just super old and boring. I mean, he's 34. He's going to be 34 <laughs> yeah. this year. And he doesn't – I mean, it, it's becoming a sexier team with Kalanick and Rodriguez on, on the on the verge of, of being called up. You know, they got some pitchers coming up. So it's, it's, it's becoming a more interesting team, but it was just, you know, a super uninteresting team for a long time. Um, so I think that's largely what it is. Um, I mean, you do worry a little bit about age. Um, is this the season where – things just kind of go a little bit awry, but he's going outside pick 300. I think that's a perfectly fine pick. You're almost surely going to be um, earning value on, on that pick at that point. So I think he's not, not someone that you're probably excited to draft, but I think, uh, I think this is how you just churn, churn value at just every mm-hmm. single spot in your, in your, on your roster is by taking guys like this. Yeah. And deeper leagues, you just got to accept that he's boring, but he's going to, at the end yeah. of the year, he's one, he's one of the guys I always talk about is just look at the back of the baseball card there's going to be a lot of times where you just don't even his stat line looks boring, but the overall number at the end is going to be really good. So yeah. just, just, just let that go. That's all you got to think about. It's not yeah. flashy by any means. Yeah, um, exactly. This other player now, Brandon Lau, I, he's a conundrum for me because he just, each year he's gotten better and better. And the metric shows that um, his draft price is continues to go through the roof. And I just have a hard time drafting him because I'm just not sold on what he's doing. When I look at his player page here, should I be sold on his production based on this metric and and what it's looking at, or is there any level of concern for you as well? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on on um, Lau, or is it? I think it is Lau. Is it Lau this right? is Lau, yes. Okay, yeah, this is Lau. Um, I'm kind of with you on him. Where, but yeah, like he he definitely has been improving. I think he's just one of those guys where, because at least on the hitter side, I do especially relatively early on in the top fifty to hundred picks or so I do kind of like to stay you know pretty value based on projections and he's just not someone that really ever ever pops for me in that way um I think I think he's going like an you know inside pick 70 here and let's see where Mm -hmm. I've got him on let's see where ATC has him they've got him at you know like the 100th overall player or so so I think you know he's interesting I I mean that the strikeout rate was definitely what I would have been worried on the past and that's been improving um his retrate has been improving as well. So it seems like his plate discipline side is, is improving. And that's, that's a big question with him. All, all of the hard hitting metrics are, are fine. Like we kind of know he's able to do that. It's just a matter of, can he not strike out or not, not strike out too much where he can put a playable batting average out there. And then yeah, I guess you always worry a little bit about just the Rays, not necessarily maximizing guys plate appearances because they don't need to. Um, and so that can always just be a tiny ding on someone's value from having that true ceiling kind of season. Mm-hmm. And I think just combine that with the fact that the projections don't suggest particularly great value. In fact, they suggest no value really at all where he's going. Yeah. It's not really a guy I'm, I'm ending up with. 
Yeah, that, that's how I've been. Like, I look at the projections. I look at – like, I don't discount what he's done. Like, he's been really good, but I, just, I can't sell myself on the increased draft price. But there's people that I respect that love him. They're yeah. going to bat for him, and it's just yeah. like – it's one of those like you have a list of guys you're like I'm not going to draft them if they do well I'll tip my cap like yeah. I just I'm not going to do it he's one of them and, and I already know I'm going to have weeks this year I'm just like dang it but yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, I know. it's just he's one of them but it's tough yeah uh, let's to, yeah let's go to Brian Hayes a uh, youngster for the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, he was he was a touted prospect came up like mid season last year like 30 games or so and um, so the sample size is very small. But, you know, before I even look at the power metric, people knew his stat cast numbers were just jumping off the page. So, obviously, that correlates over here to power and to other metrics. But his O-swing's a little concerning. Ground balls and pop-ups, very high. When you look at this, at a small sample, if you like him, you're going to have to buy in early. He's like a 120-ish, give or take, maybe a little earlier in drafts right now. Do you What what do you look at on this player page on a small sample that says, yes, I want to take my chance, or B, I'm just going to wait and see what happens? Um, I think I think some of the questions with him coming up were does he have the the the, the big power? I, I think there were questions that he didn't he wasn't really a big power guy, maybe like more of like a fifteen to twenty homer kind of guy. And so I think he answered those questions last year. I think some of these things, I know there's only ninety five PAs, um, you know, sixty five batted ball events, so not a massive sample, but I think a lot of these things looked quite good. He was in the seventieth percentile by max EV, top ten percent by average EV and in percentage of balls hit ninety five plus. So, um, I, yeah, I, I like Hayes. I, I think he's, he's not necessarily one of those guys where I'm ending up with everywhere or, or loading up on, because like you said, he, you know, he, he does require a, a relative, relatively premium pick. And he's an interesting player in that he's got the prospect pedigree. We can see from here, he, he, he can hit the ball hard. He's got relatively solid plate discipline. Um, he'll provide a little bit of speed. Um, so I think he's got a lot working in his favor. So I, I like him where, where he's going, but just, yeah, not not enough to necessarily say like I need I need to put on this guy on on all rosters, and I think just one other thing that could hold his like fantasy value back a little bit is just it's not going to be a good lineup, so he's going to hit yeah. relatively highly there. But um, yeah, I just don't. It's, it's going to be hard to have like one of those one of those massive seasons with hitting him that lineup. So I, I like him though. He's he's I think he's fine at his ADP. Yeah, it's very tough in Pittsburgh to be super fantasy relevant, yeah. especially with all the guys they've sold off on. But he's interesting because like, I had James Anderson from Rotowire on, very smart prospect guy back in oh, like yeah. November, and we were just, I was talking about a lot of these because last year a ton of prospects got called up compared to normal. So I had him on. We kind of went through them all, and you, you get Brian Hayes and Alec Baum kind of compared a lot. Two third base prospects both came up, and James was in the camp of Anderson's or Hayes is better than Baum. Mm-hmm. And he went he went into the descriptions of it and he thinks Hayes is like the power speed combo is really, really legit. So yeah. it's interesting to see how this goes. And then drafts bombs going higher than Hayes. He keeps going higher. Like he's been moving yeah. up even more. So it, it's a fun one to see how it plays out. And I, I'm yeah. on team Hayes, but it's it's tight. It's very, very yeah. tight. And and James is super sharp for anyone who's I'm I'm sure if, you know, for all for all your listeners, they're they I'm sure they're familiar with him, but he's he's a super sharp guy. I I follow pretty much everything he puts out there. So I um I, I always feel better when his his opinion kind of aligns with what I'm thinking. Yeah, it's uh, the the listeners of the show should know James just because I guess it's your third appearance. I think James has been on eight or nine times. Like he has yeah. the he, I think he has the record because it's like yeah. there's there's a bunch of good prospect guys, but and I've had a bunch of them on, but James is like my first contact many times. Yeah. Like, you're my you're my guy. Let's do this. Yeah, so um, I'm with you there. His his info is very very valuable. Yeah. Uh, before we get to listener questions, anything else? Power aces questions for me? Anything you got? 
No, right now um, I'm working on kind of a companion piece to what I put out from Aces. I like to look at those 200 plus, you know, go, those guys going after pick 200. Um, sort of a similar exercise looking at who who's raking well by power, who's got sort of like that minimum projection that we're looking for. And then um, like, I guess also just one other last piece I like to look at too, is just who looks like a, a relative value relative to projections as well. So um, that that'll be coming out this week. So that's the main thing I've got, I've got going there. So I'm looking forward to like that. Those are always fun exercises. I love looking at those later targets. Um, it was, it was a pretty successful exercise last year too. Like I probably didn't even profit nearly enough. Like I, I kind of put together a, a deep target list last year of guys going after pick 300 that looked really good by power. And like, I was probably pretty underweight on a lot of them. I don't know why. Um, and, and a lot of them end up having pretty good seasons. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I love the late round targets. And that's a important part of drafts. Um, so like you made a metric here or you made a, a little chart here. Um, ADPs inside the top 150, uh, below average power, projected ATC, um, are they're projected to be worse than the ADP, basically. Um, so guys that are you in or out on? So I'll let you have the floor here. What do you what questions do you got here? Well, so what I what I what I was trying to think through, I think there's like we we talked about late targets. I think that's one thing that I'm always looking at. But I think one thing that I'd like to look at a little bit more are, are two other things. And we'll talk about one of them here. The first one, though, that's not this is who who are kind of like, I hate to say, I hate to put it this way, but this is probably the quickest way to describe it. It's like, who's this year is Yelich from, you know, 2017 or whatever. Like, who's the guy who's going kind of like, definitely a, an expensive pick, um, call it top 50 to 100. But like, we could be talking about in the first round next year, like Bellinger from two years ago and Yelich from three years ago, like those kinds of guys. Like, those are the kinds of guys that are that, that I'd love to, to take a deeper pass at, at going to find. But I think one other area that I've gotten tripped up in the past is just sort of being a little bit too value-based with my drafting and ultimately ending up with landmines. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about here is like, who are guys that are going relatively expensive? So I define that here as top 150. You got to take this guy with the top 150 pick. They don't really have, you know, skills by power. And then I think one reason I brought projections into here as well is to help us sort of like figure out, are, is this person, is this player doing things like speed and batting average that we're not seeing in power and therefore the pick makes sense. So that's why I looked at guys who are going basically projections like them less than ADP. So I mentioned, I think I brought up eight here. So I think maybe I'd love to ask you about any of these guys really, but um, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, like Yohan Mankata, for example, I've heard <laughs> pretty polarizing things on like uh, Scott Jensen, who I, I like to listen to. And I, I really trust his opinion. I think he's a super sharp guy. He's basically calling Moncada free free money at at, at ADP of, of eighty. I know he's got the super strong pedigree. He's already had you know a year where you know he he easily beat that ADP. So I can I can see it. But like I'm looking at this here and was horrible last year by power. Maybe he just completely ratted off. Projections don't particularly like him. So I think this is just one of those plays where you just maybe you're looking at something beyond the numbers. I don't know. Like what where are you falling on Moncada though? I am in the camp with Scott. I've been preaching y'all Moncada that I'm not so much. He's I don't know if he's in the next Yellick, but I could see like a top thirty pick, top two round pick next year. The biggest thing with Yohan Moncada, and if you look at his 2019 numbers, where those were, even his 2018 numbers, the hard hit rate and everything, elite, like really top end stuff. Yeah, yeah. And all of his other metrics. What happened last year was COVID, and he got COVID, and he was very vocal. One of the few guys that said every day it was hard for him to get out of bed. He had no energy. Like he played pretty much every day. He played, uh, he had 231 plate appearances. That's pretty yeah. much towards the top. 
he um that's why he wasn't stealing bases like he wasn't doing anything i know this metric doesn't do steals but like yeah. his whole game was gone because he had literally no energy yeah and i think that's why scott says it that's why i say it and it's hard to know for all these guys not many of them talked about it, but he was very vocal even in season that i just kind of tossed 2020 out the window and yeah. that that's where the projections will also be in trouble because a lot of them especially like aerials and stuff they use previous seasons and kind of move things together well if you use 2020 of Mankata, they're all going to stink and so i just that's one of those where and, and i use projections like you do and stuff it's one of those where I, when i look at it i'm like you know what i'm gonna take my chance here on you Mankata because even last year you know you have here is adp right now is i think 61 um oh, last he's creeped up oh 81 no you have 81 okay sorry. okay you okay. have 81 um but you know last year he's probably between 50 and 60 if not higher yeah. So it's one of those. That's I know, where I, I think it's. I think it's free money, and that you're getting probably a three round discount, if not more, on a potential very, very talented third baseman. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm with Scott on this one. Okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it a little bit better. Like I, I kind of like to see it a little bit in the numbers, and I, I am, I'm kind of starting to see a path of where you guys are coming from on this. Where well, I think I'm your player page, your player page shows it very yeah. well. No, yeah, it's exactly what I'm seeing. So I'm, I'm basically, but what I'm seeing here is, is probably three things with with Moncada. One is his. 2020 from a hard hitting ability, it looks like an outlier. It's really low. Mm-hmm. It's, it's awful. He's been, he's been elite top 10% of the previous two years, but then also his walk rate from 2019 looks a bit like an outlier, very low. Whereas the other years he'd been sort of in the top 20, 25% or so. So mm-hmm. it's like, and then if you, if you combine those two where he brings back his hard hitting ability that he's had every single season and combines it with some improved walk rate from 2019, where he already ranked as a top 50 player, um, in, in the NFBC 15, you know, 15 team ranks, then yeah. And you have to get, you get him at pick 80. Like you might be getting a bit of a, a three, a three round spread or a two round spread on 2019 with potentially upside for more. If he can combine that, you know, sort of improved plate discipline, the walk rate with those previous hard hitting numbers. So I'm, I'm a little bit more, maybe a little bit more sold after having this conversation than I, than I was going into it. And that, that's why this metrics is fun. That's why I like like having a conversation with you because it's to, it, you know thirty one percent power stands out for a guy that you know is better than that. Yeah. So it makes you want to look at it, and then if you look at the rest of his page, like okay, wait a minute, something was definitely yeah. off. And I think the, especially the reason I want to bring him up, and I think why projections don't like him all that much is he's getting plenty of plate appearances. It's not it's not the it's not the playing time issue. He's projected for six hundred twenty six, so that's not why he's projected for lower. He's only projected for seven stolen bases, only a two fifty seven batting average. So it's like. Powett is capturing what he would sort of drive from a fantasy level. He's not, he's not like a huge plus in stolen bases or batting average, whereas like Powell is missing something there. So that's why I thought he was a good one to, to raise there. Definitely. Definitely. Um, there yeah. were, there were a few more and mm-hmm. actually maybe even kind of sticking with that same podcast I was listening to. It was Scott Jenstad, Jeff Erickson had mm-hmm. Scott Pianowski on. Great episode. Yeah, it was good. It was good. And Pianowski mm-hmm. brought up Tommy Edmonds, someone I really wasn't thinking about too much. And I thought he made some good points, potentially leading off. Um, but he looks pretty awful here. And I know he I know he brings some speed. He's at, at 265 projected batting average, not plus by any means, but I think that's probably a little bit above average at this point. Um, and his PAs are potentially a little bit low at 565. Maybe that's it, it could be higher if he truly is leading off for most of the season. He's got multiple multiple position eligibility, but Bottom thirty percent by power, um, ADP of one twenty eight is is well below where ATC projects him closer to the two hundred best player. Where, where are you where are you at on on Edmund? Edmund's tough, and it's kind of I agree with what I think it was Pianowski said about Edmund. 
the reason why he's going so high, and I have a lot of shares of Tommy Edmund, and I, I, I've talked about it on, on other shows, different places. It terrifies me because I, I see the guy that's 10 to 15 home runs, 15 to 20 steals, which is actually kind of good in the grand scheme of things. What I love about Tommy Edmund is he's going to lead off. There's no doubting that unless something really strange happens. And he's got a good offense behind him, at least for the first four or five hitters, which is promising. And what Pinau said, and it's huge, especially for like NFBC, in NFBC, he's second base, shortstop, third base, outfield, maybe yeah, even one everywhere. other position. That is tremendous, especially at a second base position where he's going. You're he, He's like the 10th or 11th second baseman off the board, and things dry up unless you want to reach. I'm like Colton Wong's there and Cesar Hernandez. Those guys are good. Don't get me wrong. But you've, you're starting to see it if you look at changes in ADP. After like a Tommy Edmond, these other guys are getting pushed up so much. And so you have to be really comfortable with jumping like two or three rounds to get a Colton Wong. Like, do you want to do that? So that's where I find myself taking Tommy Edmond. That's why I have a lot of Tommy Edmond. But the metrics make sense. It's not a feel-good, like he's going to light the fantasy world on fire type pick. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, I don't know. I was, I was, I, again, I wasn't thinking a ton of Edmond probably because I, I tend to be a bit of a value-based drafter um, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. And so he didn't really pop too much for me. And then when I heard P&L mention him, I'm like, I'm going to look into him a little bit more. And yeah, he, he sort of showed up here as <laughs> like, at least based on the criteria I was trying to build to try to find like potential guys to fade or landmines. Like he, he showed up there. So I thought that was surprising, but um, no, I think, I think those are all good points. I'm not sure I'm going to end up with a ton of him. I don't blame I, you. I can definitely like see it's it, not, it doesn't yeah. feel great. It really yeah. is. Like I have like a couple more drafts. My goal is not to draft Tommy yeah. in any of those drafts. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's not, not a guy you want to be totally overweight. No. On. Um, and okay. I, got, I think I got at least, at least one more for you. You let okay. me know if we're, no, we're almost out of time here. Okay. Yeah. Um, Victor Robles. Yeah. EVR loves him. You had to do it. I was, I was, uh, you can see I'm easily swayed here. Uh, I, I was like, yeah, I think Dior makes a lot of sense. I think he's already shown he's he's has a top 100 fantasy season on his books at, at age 22. Mm-hmm. He was a big prospect. Um, we've heard the stories last year that he bulked up too much. You know, it's a great narrative. Mm-hmm. Didn't really help him very much. He, he bulked up, but somehow his hard-hitting ability was like more or less kind of along his career lines, a.k.a. not very good. Um, you know, the, the, the plate discipline is still pretty poor. In fact, it, his strikeout rate, which was at least – you know, above average before was in the bottom 20 for 25% or so last year. And his ADP has pushed up to a point where, you know, I, I could, I, when DVR was talking about it a lot, you know, he's talking about like around pick 150 or so. And I could see that. I'm like, okay, but now he's being pushed up to like 106, 104 around mm-hmm. pick 200 or so. And like projections have him around 160. You know, he's going to chip in, not even chip in. He's going to be a, a plus base feeler. So that's, that's what Powell is missing. But like, yeah, where, where are you at in Robles? Like, are you, obviously you'd rather have at 150, but are you in at around pick 100 if, if that's where it takes to get him? Yeah, I took him at like 113 in a slow draft today. So it's one of those where DVR to myself, it feels like it feels like every offseason I start listening to DVR again, and I'm like, huh, we're on the same page again because <laughs> I've been Team Victor since he got called up. Yeah. And I've, I've told people as I love Juan Soto, and I was, it's impossible not to love Juan Soto. But when Juan Soto got called up, he only got called up because Victor Robles was injured in the mind. Yeah, yeah. Like Victor Robles was the next guy. The thing with Victor Robles, and we saw it in 2019, like you mentioned, he had very productive power and speed, which you'd expect from him. He's not going to hit 30 home runs. Like, just not if he hits 20, you're over the moon. Oh, yeah. Like, you just, just look 15 to 18, but he's going to still get 25 to 30 bags. That's what you want. Um, he's just never going to be that hard hit guy, but he's learned to play with it. He pulls the ball. The reason why he's going up so much in drafts and the reason why he's so much more attractive 
is the Nats have come out and said, we want Victor Robles to be our leadoff hitter. Yeah. Now, if you put that man, even if he's not in for power, at the top of that order with Turner and Soto and Bell and Schwarber and all these guys behind him, and he can go steal bags, he can score 100 runs, and he can steal 35 bases. Yeah. Like this, it's tremendous value. That's why when that announcement got made, he went from like 150 yeah. to 105. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. That's why I'm in. He's definitely one of the guys that – you just got to have a blind spot to the hard hit, all that information yeah, because yeah. it never looks good at all. Yeah. And, and that's where I was saying power definitely misses on guys like this, where, you know, it's going to look bad uh, for a lot of the speed guys. It does. And that's because it, that's because they, they bring the speed to the table from a fantasy perspective. That's not going to be captured all on power. Um, Robles doesn't really, he actually probably brings a little bit like a minus batting average, perhaps um, yeah. at least based on projections. So I don't think he's getting being too hard there, but um, I guess yeah. If he, if he if he truly can take that leadoff spot, mm-hmm. hold it, and improve his K rate, kind of like he did before, um, sort of like back along career lines, then yeah, I think that that could could be a guy. Um, I I like um, to a certain degree. I kind of kind of do like betting on pedigree, even when you don't see it. You don't see you don't see it yet, but you know some. Like that, that's how you kind of get. He's like 23 years old. Yeah. Like people are giving up on the kid. He's 23 years old. Yeah. Like I've I've accepted he's not going to be a power hitter. That's fine. But if you tell me this guy can hit leadoff and we see what he did, the pedigree you mentioned in the minors, sign me up for that. Like he's got, he's got one full season on his books and he was a top 100 player there. Yeah. Um, When he, and when he did that going into 2020, his draft price was like 55 or 60. Yeah. So people are like discounting him so much because he had a rough season where he's mitted, he came in big and all the stuff. And, like I'm sorry, and he's he's already this spring. I guess three or four homers. He's stolen four or five bags. Like he looks like he's hitting like 260. That's what Victor yeah. Robles does. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, hey, you're you're convincing me on a lot of these. I think maybe maybe the Edmund one I'm not totally sold on yet, but yeah, I, I feel don't like don't blame I, you there. But I, I, Robles come, and uh, and Mankata, big fans of those. Yeah, two. I've come closer on Mankata and Robles, and and weirdly enough, Edmund and, and Robles are perhaps like kind of similar in the case you're trying to make for them, and like leadoff guys in front of a good lineup, going to steal a little bit of bases, but I think. Robles just had, and Edmonds a little bit more on the position eligibility side, whereas Robles is a little bit more on, um, you know, just more speed upside, more pedigree, pedigree lineup with kind him of thing. for or sure. Arguably better lineup, so um, yeah. I can see and better lineup. ballpark. Yeah, but there you go, better ballpark too. Yeah, I think that also shows I probably just don't value position eligibility perhaps enough. Um, so I think that's maybe one thing in my game where yeah, I definitely have found that having a hard time filling lineups sometimes, especially in those 50 round drafting holes. I might need to, yeah. I might need to buy that a little more. Yeah. 15 team leagues, especially after last year. And I still, we've already seen the injury bug come out now. I, I see it happening. Like Eno's talked about it and other guys with the different schedules and how they're doing the restrictions and stuff. There's going to be a lot of freaky injuries. We saw last year that flexibility was huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's something yeah. I need to prove on. Um, well, man, let, let me know if there's anyone else on this list. I'll, I'll read it out for everyone just to kind of go through again, like my, my rubric to try to find these potential fades that I just don't want to leave the draft table with, you know, a relatively premium pick. and I'm getting very little to show for it. And so, again, I, I went through and looked at top 150 picks, guys that ranked below average in power, and then guys that um, projected to be worse or just, you know, yeah, worse by projections than by ADP. And so that list was... Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Tommy Edmond, Yohan Moncada, Keston Hira, Adalberto Montesi, Andres Jimenez, and Victor Robles. So those those eight guys. Any anyone else that we didn't talk about there that that you think um, you you feel particularly strongly about there, whether it's total fade or, or you're buying? 
Um, it's just, it's a very good list because it's a very polarizing list depending on where you who you to, who you talk to. Um, Correa, I'm out on. I just the health. I've never he's never been healthy for me, so I'm just gonna notch that up to I can't do it because the hard hit metrics are great, but he's just never healthy. Altuve, I'm buying back in on. Um, if you throw his postseason numbers, which is he had yeah. more at bats in the postseason than the regular season, they were very good, and he faced better pitching. Yeah. So look at that metric, and you can say the same for Correa, but his health thing just scares me too much. Yeah. Um, so Altuve, Altuve, you're getting like in the ninth round. Like I'll take that chance, even if you return a sixth round value, that's a win. So yeah. um, I'll take my chance with Altuve in that one. Keston Hira, I just can't like the talents there. I get it, but he can't hit a fastball. Like it's and, and he's he's already striking out like fifty to sixty percent in spring training right now. It's it's bad. So that's one of those I like, kind of like the Brandon Lau. If he does well, I'm just gonna tip my cap. But like, I could see it happening, but I'm not there. Uh, Mondesi, I like, but the price is too high for me. And Jimenez, his price has climbed so much, it's terrifying. Yeah, like it's terrifying. Yeah. Okay, uh, I can't do it. Yeah, but uh, I, I see the appeal, especially the Jimenez one is interesting. If and, and Mondesi, I guess because you're drafting them for steals and. If you're in an overall competition, they can be game changers. So I see the appeal there. I just can't, I can't do it. Yeah. So I'm and that. And I think I, I mentioned to you, like I, I, this, this list was a bit tough for me because a couple of these guys I've, I've already rostered. So like, mm-hmm. I think I've got, I've got, um, I think I've got both Altuve and Mondesi actually in, in TGFBI, mainly again, like you said, the overall component, I was kind of Makes shooting sense a little high there. Um, I don't know if I regret that or not, but um was was kind of feeling that and and i, I like your points on altuve for sure about the play, well, about the playoffs if you look at projections like you do mondesi if he hits his projections he's one of the best fantasy players in baseball yeah so like it's one of those deals i won't ever argue someone taking him i have him in some keeper leagues but where he's getting drafted right now i just like i'm taking an sp1 or something but i get it i totally get it in an overall competition no arguments at all yeah um, you have one to two must have players, hitter, pitcher that you're grabbing in every draft. Yeah. Uh, um, for me, uh, pitcher wise, I am running to draft Lucas Giolito wherever I can. I think he has potential to be in the Degrom Cole conversation next year. If you want to go, if you want to go farther down the board, I'm going to pull up this Aces page first before I get really <laughs> scared on uh, the next guy I'm going to mention. But um, let's see how he shows up here. Okay, he's not bad. Um, Marcus Stroman. I'm I am all in on Marcus Stroman this year. He's he didn't play last year, so he's getting dropped down. I think in drafts he's developed a split change that looks filthy this spring, um, and his strikeout rate increased once he got traded to the Mets last year or two years ago, I guess that would be. So I'm buying in on a guy that you're getting closer to pick two hundred, where he should be closer to like one twenty five or one. Yeah. So, really nice floor too. I feel like was well. Yep. I, I I was gonna say typically. I guess that that year off we have no idea, but yeah. um, I would feel more like often than not. Yeah, yeah. So nice. That that'd be the pitching and hitting. I've drafted so many leagues, but like I like been caught a lot. Um, I have a lot of Glaber Torres. It yeah. feels like because I'm buying back. He's like an eighth round guy right now that does not deserve to be eighth round guy. Um, and then. I know there's a bunch of outfit. Mark Connor is a guy in the outfit. I've been drafting a ton, hitting towards the top of the Oakland lineup. Like if it's super late in drafts, but yeah. hitters, there's a lot of different hitters. I like it. Just depends on how the draft flows. Pitching, I, I'm a lot more focused on my pitching. Like Stroman, Lindblom, I have a lot of. Um, but yeah. hitters, I can be pretty flexible with. Yeah, I um, as part of that that um, that Aces late targets piece, Lindblom 
surprised me a little bit. I, I ended up liking him a decent amount. You, you like three plus game. pitches. Limblum's your guy. Yeah, yeah, he definitely is. <laughs> You've got like, like five six. pitches. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. guess six pitches have over 10% swinging strike rate. Like if you believe in CSW, he yeah, like four or five that are over like 30%. That like, dude's crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think projections like him too. I mean, projections for mm-hmm. pitchers, especially coming after 2020, are going to be tough to trust. But there's a bit of a spread between where like ATC has him and where he's going by ADP. Yeah, no, he's one of those guys I'm willing to because he's he's like he's he's post 300 in drafts. It's just yeah, I'll take my chance. I'll take my chance. If for, if for some reason I'm just wrong on him, that's an easy drop. Yeah, it's not going to kill you. So I think the sky is pretty high on him. Um, all right, couple listener questions here, and then we will wrap this up. I'm, I'm loving the show though, loving it. Um, always enjoy chatting with you. Um, we got a couple listener questions here. Yancey Eaton, very friend of the fantasy world. And a friend yeah. of friend of mine, um, he would love to hear what Pope. I calls you Pope. Pope is doing with Tyler Glass now. Uh, is a third a third pitch is real and sticks throughout the year. How does that affect his outlook? Is it enough? So we kind of talked how pitch mix can change things, but with Glass now, he's working on I believe as a slider and he's it's looked good, but still controls if you like, even Nick Pollock and those guys are like it's nice, but it's out of the zone a lot. Yeah. So um, which similar to his curveball. Um, what's your thoughts on on Glass now? Yeah, I'm. I'm just not like it. it it's better to have it, but I don't yeah. think skills were much of the question. I think I think all of the question to Glass now comes down to can he stay healthy, yeah. and does adding a slider help him do that? I mean, if it decreases his reliance on a, on the fastball, maybe I don't know, maybe, maybe not. So I I don't think I don't think the splitter is going to be the end all be all for his value. I think I think really it's going to come down to health. Um, if he can stay healthy, I think he already has the stuff. He already has the skills. He already has the sort of track record that he's shown that he can he can deliver on that. It just really comes out of the help. So I don't think, you know, I'll like while well, I'll I'll take him pitching another, you know, c- coming out of not being a, a, a two pitch guy and another pitch to throw into there. Maybe that could vault him up to another level. Um, but I think it's if I had to choose one thing, I think it'd be health over over a third pitch. Yeah, and I'm with you. There's health is always an issue, and he just needs to. Be able to control his pitches better because his pitch count gets so high he doesn't go deep into games and it's just like he's killing yeah. you for where, where you're taking him in drafts you need him to get you wins and stuff like yeah you can't just rely on strikeouts so that's where i struggle with class now um andrew armor asks how do you rank woodruff maeda and lynn in a points league you don't have to worry yeah. about points if you don't want but you can't say i was gonna say full, full disclosure i don't really play points yeah. league, so i don't know in that format but i think um at least my, my initial thought on that, if you play points, is that volume probably matters a little bit more, I would Big think. And time. so um, even if it didn't, I'd probably still keep it exactly that order that he had. But I think um, I think I think I would just stick with that order. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd, have Wood, I'd have Woodruff up top. The Lin-Maeda discussion gets more interesting. I'll go okay. that route because Lin is an innings eating machine. But when Maeda's on and he's pitching his innings, he's better than Lin. So yeah. it just kind of depends on where you go there. Um I could see arguments either way for Lynn and Woodruff's definitely the number one in that for, sure. for me. Um, the next listener question we have from Vamos Rojo, Roja, sorry. Have you seen much from Giolito and his new curveball in spring training? Can he take the next step? I haven't seen a ton, like watched it live, but I know he's done very, very good. Um, and obviously I think he could take the next step, but you yeah. don't have to placate me. Do you think Giolito can take the next step? I mean, he's pretty damn high already, right? Yeah, like that's that's what I love. Is like he's already like the fourth or fifth pitcher off the board. So the next step's really gonna be tricky. Yeah, 
and, and maybe that's what people are betting on is that he, can he go yeah. from being kind of like a top 10 to 15 starting pitcher or two in that like top five discussion. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I think, I think, you know, like I, I think he can be in that range, but a couple of pauses that I have maybe a little bit, if I'm just trying to think about it another way is the, the, the park playing in the AL, but I guess, I guess the division's not great and he'll have more win potential. So I think if maybe you want to kind of hang your hat on the win potential, I think the skills are already there. So maybe that, maybe that curveball helps him go to another level. Um, just add one more look for guys and, and kind of raise that sort of K minus walk rate. He can get up there a little bit higher. And then you add just maybe a slight uptick in skills with better win potential from a fantasy perspective. Yeah. Maybe he can jump into that top five to uh, like five at the end of the season. Yeah. I'm I, that's one of my kind of, I don't know if it's bold because he's already very good, but I think by this time next year where he is in that top five, like I have him as my number four right now, but I know not everybody does. Like, and I, I get it. If you want Darvish or you want Bauer, or you, I, I'm not going to argue you. Like, they're they're all very very good. But yeah, I think I think Giulio is that good, and that team he's on now is very good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, last listener question we have here. He's actually in the chat. Simon Simon asked. Thoughts on Trevor Williams and NL only now that it seems that he will make the rotation. Well, NL only volume is key. So if he's in the rotation, that's huge. But uh, I just pulled up his, his aces page. It's not the greatest of pages. Just go throw it out there. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. Uh, if it's you're super deep, I'd say go for it. But do you have any thoughts on Trevor Williams? He wouldn't be a go-to guy for me. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how late he's going to have. I, I, it, I haven't, I haven't done any 50 round draft and holds, but he'd probably be someone like, I at least take a look yeah. at there. Like, I don't know where he's going. Actually. I'm, I'm trying to look at online and he's going, he's not, he's not on here. So I'm going to see if I can pull him on draft. Not even draft see where, it, yeah. yeah. See where, see where he's going in draft champions in the last weekend or so, but he's got, he's got really plus command. And I think that's potentially mm-hmm. part, part of what's driving his, his aces ability. And I assume we're talking about Trevor Williams in Pittsburgh. He was in Pittsburgh. Now in Pittsburgh. He's, he's in Chicago. He's a free agent. He's in Chicago. The Cubs. Cubs. Okay. So yeah, 2020 was Pittsburgh, correct? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still a pretty good situation. Good park yep. in the NL. Um, do we do we have any news that he's going to be the fifth guy? Because I know Auzale was was in play for that as well, who I like. Um, I think it's still up in the air. I haven't seen anything, but his question says it looks like he's going to be in there. So okay. maybe maybe something came out that I missed. I have no idea. Okay, got it. Um, I know he was close, so wouldn't okay. surprise me. Yeah, I think I think he's fine. I mean, he's going near like pick six hundred. I don't know if that's going to spike now, but I think that's I think that's fine. I think if um, if it was sort of fifty fifty, I'd rather take a bet on on Alzalib. Granted, he's gone a little bit earlier, but I think I think Williams can be fine in in what's a what's a pitcher's park. Good command. Mm-hmm. Can keep, be kind of an innings innings eater, and, and somebody can throw in there. Um, you know, whenever you need to to bring a guy out. Like I know for draft and holds, like I've had I've had a hard time filling out a rotation sometimes. So yep. these kinds of guys that that can just give you relatively okay innings in in a good context. Like I I'd be in on that, and something like L only that's got to be pretty deep as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. You, you nailed it there. Uh, if you're taking them late in a draft and hold, you're definitely taking them late in an L only because innings are key. And one thing with Trevor Williams is out there because of his command, like you mentioned, he's throwing five, six innings more often than not. So in an NL only, that's very, very good. And yeah. the ballpark, Wrigley's only dangerous when the wind's blowing out. The rest of the time, it's very pitcher friendly. Yeah. So 
I, I wouldn't factor that in too much. So I like that call quite a bit. Yeah. So and, Simon, yes, go for it. Late and maybe, don't, don't be aggressive. And if you if you do decide to start him, just take a look at the weather that day to make sure the wind isn't blowing out that day. Exactly. I think you're good. Exactly. I think it's works. And the division's uh, not a bad one to pitch in either. So. All right, Aaron, we will wrap it up with that. Always a pleasure. Uh, before we sign off, plug all your stuff again. Let them know where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter at Roto Pope. Uh, I'm not I'm not uh, quite as active as I should be, but you, you can find me there. And then um, on the Athletic, contributing to them this season, we've already got aces and power. All the all the stuff that we've been referencing throughout the dashboard, the leaderboards, etc. It's all on the Athletic. Um, just came out with a piece early this week on the late targets by aces. So that's that's already up and live. And then now working on the same thing, but on the power side of things. So should be out later this week. Well, awesome, man. I appreciate it. Everybody should go check him out. Go If you're not a member of the Athletic yet, do it. They have like dollar deals. They have all kinds of stuff out there. There's no reason not to because you get Aaron stuff. You got Eno stuff, DVR stuff, non like Greg Jewett's on like all these guys. You get all their great stuff. So go check it out. Plus the non-fantasy stuff. It's very viable. So uh, the athletics, one of those is definitely worth, worth paying for. So go check that out. And uh, Aaron, thanks for joining me, man. I look forward to this every year. And like I always say, we need to do it more often. We just got to find a way to squeeze it in. It's just once the season yeah. goes, it's just busy, busy, busy. Yeah, man. So. yeah you're, yeah, you're, you're turning these out. I have, I have a lot of respect for that. I've, I've produced my own podcast before to like 15 episodes. It's a lot of work. So I, I think you, you do a good job with it. I appreciate it, man. But uh, everybody, again, check it out on Twitter, at RotoPope. Awesome stuff with Aaron. And um, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 356 with Aaron Sassetta talking aces and power. We'll catch you guys later. Peace.